Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary, a podcast about people who on the surface appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Today, I interview two parents who, in my mind, have raised seven of the greatest kids that I've ever met. These kids are happy, and they are healthy, and they are productive, and the ones who are out of high school have gone on to accomplish great things. The uh, two Jacks, the, the people that I'm interviewing, have a wonderful marriage, very loving, very happy, very easygoing, and this seems to be replicated in most of their kids, maybe all of their kids. And I look at families like this and I just always ask myself, how do they do it? How do they do it? And I really want to know. So that's why I conducted this interview. Jerry and Lucy Tujak are the parents of seven children, ages 25 to 13. They both led very interesting lives. While Jerry currently works in IT, he actually has two master's degrees, an MS and also an MBA. One of his degrees is in fisheries and allied aquaculture. He's ran his own business and was the director of operations for Silicon Valley Solutions, where he built a technical team. In his spare time, he lifts and gets strong and jacked fast, and he can't stop listening to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Lucy has a Bachelor's of Science in nursing. In school, she was a straight-A nerd who loves to read. She would love to travel. She enjoys visiting family and going to the lake, where she loves to get on a raft and float away from her seven children. What I find amazing about both of them is everything. They are so cheerful. And they are apparently able to just roll with life. If anybody is going to have seven kids and manage a household like that, these two appear to be the right people. I'm interviewing them because I want to know how people can raise amazing kids. Hey, Jerry and Lucy. Hi. Hello. Well, tell us just a little bit about yourselves and about your kids. Uh, What's the age range on the kids? So the oldest is 25, he'll be 26 in August next month, and the youngest is 13. Uh, he'll, he's actually close to 14 in October, so five boys and two girls. Okay, so what is that like having so many kids just 12 years apart? It was a lot of work at first, but it really, I, I can't imagine it any other way. It, w- it was a lot of fun, and I know it sounds cliched, but looking back, it really went fast. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way either. Um, it was just always, always bit very busy, um, but very joyful. Um, you know, I love the gift of, I was one of seven myself, Jerry was one of eight. Um, and I feel like one of the greatest gifts in life is to have siblings. And so just, um, you know, having that for my own kids is just such a gift and blessing. Yeah, I'd agree. And it was a funny thing. We started dating when we were, uh, I know I'm jumping ahead in questions. No, that's when, fine. When we were in uh, sixth grade um, for the first time. And so sixth, seventh, we exchanged notes in our carpools because she went to an all-girls school. I went to an all-boys school. And our siblings carpooled with each other. So we would pass notes to the opposite siblings. And they'd give it to them because this was before texting and all those good things. <laughs> and, and we'd so, tape it so and, we yeah. could tell if anybody so tried to break I, into the We found the a note from around that, that time era that talked about how many kids we wanted to have. And actually, we said seven. So that's kind of weird. I don't ever remember oh, saying that God. back when I was 13, but it ended up working out that way. Well, you did say um, if you weren't going to be a priest, then you would get married. <laughs> right. Wow. If I can't yeah. have a daughter, I 
I'll just make my own. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. They wouldn't have me. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you keep from going crazy if you have seven kids in 12 years? Um, you know, I liken it to, and I may not uh, say this analogy correct because I'm, I'm bad about uh, botching those, um, but it's the frog in the water. The boiling, oh, yeah. water. the boiling water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The frog um, in the boiling water. Turn it up one degree at a time and he won't jump out. Right. <laughs> but if and you then, toss him into boiling water, he'll be like, you're trying to kill me. Right. And so, like, when you, so you start with one, it goes up a <clears throat> notch, then two, goes up another notch, you know, whatever. And you're not really realizing it. It just gets a little crazier and crazier. We actually, we were watching some home videos Last the other year, day, back when, I think, yeah, you know, I back think we when we had five, but they were all young. And we were <laughs> in awe of the, the scene. Just the noise the level. The noise and how we were watching ourselves everywhere. and we were just so calm, just sitting there. You do, and it, it's you do just, forget about it after a while. It just, grow, it just grows on you. Yeah. You don't feel like it's crazy. You feel like it's totally normal. Unlike the frog in the boiling water, you don't die at the end, though. It's just that you learn, you learn to tolerate... The, these things and and to roll with it it just becomes part of your normal every day um but the other thing is too that as you add kids past three and those kids get older it it makes your life easier actually it's built in playmates friends. for your kids built in friends it's it's little babysitters that you know at least you can not be constantly watching every second you can turn around and look at the stove and do something else or read a book for a little while and it just, yeah. Yeah, when they get older, the older ones help with the younger ones, and so. And the older they get too, especially if you've been blessed with kids that uh, are good kids, because um, I say blessed with, because it seems like so much is from the Holy Spirit. Only so much that we can do here. Um, that they also just help. They help parent your youngest ones. And, and keep them kind of on the straight and narrow through shame and abuse uh -huh. and, and other, and other <laughs> things that parents can't do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for things sure. where the parents are like, that is so wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. And then on the inside, you're cheering. Exactly, exactly. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, let's back up to when you were 12 here because, well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you, I guess where I'm going with this. Uh, how old were you when you got married? 20. 20. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're the same age. You got married when you were 20. We were. She turned 21. I turned 21 on our honeymoon, and she was a few months later. Okay. Yeah. So you're passing notes when you're 12. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess this was a, a very long eight-year courtship. Kind of. We broke up like end of seventh grade. It wasn't straight through from 12 to 20. There was some breakups. Yeah. And I, I pursued her through a good chunk of no, high school. No, first you broke up with me uh, a know. bunch of times. But then I went back because I realized that I wasn't very smart and she was having none of it. But we ended up getting back together around senior year. Senior year, yeah. So senior year of high school, um, I think it was maybe that summer you started uh, coming around again, being like, no, you know, I'm really a nice guy. I won't break up with you and break your heart. Anyway, then you asked me to, to homecoming senior year and... I went, and I think that was like, that was it, yeah. That we was were... it. So senior year in high school, you knew. You both just knew. Mm -hmm. Wow. There were ups and downs after that, but yeah. But, yeah. but we yeah. pretty much knew. But yeah, we knew. When we got engaged, uh, it was between sophomore and junior year of college, um, so I think we were 19. Yeah, even our, I mean, our parents normally, like if one of my 19-year-old kids did that and had, and 
like all of a sudden if a 19 year old I would say you're insane you know but our parents knew our relationship knew how far back it went and knew so much about it that nobody was really surprised we were way ahead of all of our friends which was kind of a that was a little bit hard um, yeah, because they thought we were kind in of front of everybody. Crazy. Yeah, you don't right. get to kind of share that with everybody. Or yeah, like what are you doing? Not even finished college yet. I know. We just know. So. Yeah. Well, Why wait? You both have a tremendous amount of education in some pretty difficult things: uh, bachelor's in nursing, uh, some master's degrees here. Um, I think some people would just be amazed that you finished college at all, undergrad, and yet you really kind of surged ahead, you with your total nerdy straight A-ness and mm-hmm. you with all of your master's degrees. Um, but how did that work out exactly, being married and being in college? So we did have kind of a, have a, have a plan. We, we were postponing kids a little bit until at least you graduated. I finished nursing school. Yeah, so she finished nursing school. We got pregnant with Jerome. And so then she worked nights. I was with him during the day. I, I continued to go to school. He would come back in the day and so we, we just kind of traded off with them like that and you kind of worked your way and paid my way through the rest of my school yeah yeah so I worked uh in my nursing job to help him finish his master's degrees yeah and we had one yeah <clears throat> and the agreement all well I don't know if it was ever an official agreement but what we always wanted to do was have it so that when I got my job she didn't she was a stay-at-home mom and so we were able to do that actually all the way till our last one when the economy and job loss and everything else hit. And that's when she actually had to go back into the workforce again. Was that around 2007, 2008? Yeah, that was right after our number seven was born. So it was 2007. It was seven, 2008. Yeah. Okay, yeah. right around the beginning right. of the Great Recession. Yeah. yeah, 2008, March of 2008, we had number seven, John, who was six months old maybe and you came home from Sprint and said that you had gotten laid off yeah and then it took a year for you to find another job right and it was a job with a company that uh, supplied things to Sprint and and then they lost that contract and it was like last in first out I lost that job Mm. so then after that it was like let's try a few things on our own let's try and sell things on eBay and see if we can make enough money I'm tired of this corporate thing and just being you know having no control but in the meantime we lost our house and yeah about, all about around 2008 mm-hmm. they evicted you mm-hmm. they just made you well we, we we filed for bankruptcy and gave up the house in as part of the whole okay. process yeah. Got, it. yeah got it and then came out here and rented to own to begin with and then bought it and yeah moved on from there yeah so i mean it was ugly um you know but i mean it was, it was a huge lesson in faith and trust in God because, um, you know, I seriously thought we were going to be in a cardboard box somewhere. Um, but All that God. with seven kids, All one being a seven baby. Yeah. Some, yeah. some really good stories they remember about that, too. It's really some humbling times. Very, I yeah. mean, going to, like, a food pantry sort of thing and getting a box of food to take in, but mm-hmm. also thinking to yourself that, I'm not a food box kind of person. Right. But, but thank goodness the safety using net is there for some, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Using food stamps for a little while. And, and yeah. our kids don't start dive a little bit. Well, no, that was for something else. Well, that was for something else. <laughs> that was just for fun. That, was, <laughs> that was actually part of our eBay business. So. Oh, a little bit of, I've read about that. No, so, so yeah. we get boxes out of the And so, recycling. you know, why pay for 
shipping boxes when people toss their moving boxes into the recyclable dumpsters up at church. No, it's true. Look, I've been listening to some financial podcasts. Uh, There's the whole financial independence retire early uh, movement out there. These are the people who say 70% of your income, invested index funds, don't live in Los Angeles. Those are like their three rules. And they had a whole episode about dumpster diving. And I was like, you're doing a whole episode on dumpster diving. (laughs) Yes. I mean, dumpster diving is... For what we were using it for, we weren't. No, we weren't. But it was like, I mean, we saved a lot of money with shipping. We saved money with shipping. I mean, we're already back for when we were doing. But but it was a terrible. I mean, if you look at personal finance, the eBay business was tough. The best we we had seventy thousand in sales. I guess one year was our our best year. Um, But we probably of that netted twenty five. Because With the seven expenses, kids. yeah, because were, of expenses. were so high. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, 2008 was just rough on a lot yeah. of people in general. So, okay, so you got married when you were 20. Uh, just backing up to that point. 1991. So I'm thinking college, and a lot of people go to college so that they can study hard, but I think maybe a greater percentage goes so that they can party hard. But you're already married, and then you we, had a kid. We were in a co- completely different mindset. Yeah. We were at Auburn. I didn't go to a single Auburn football game. Mm. We both worked full time, so I was a manager at a pizza place. So every football game was a big business day. So, and she worked next door mm-hmm. at the at the surf and turf next door. Um, uh, I think a lot of that though had to do with growing up in New Orleans. And being kind of partied out by the time we, we got were to college. kind of oh, because it's a we party did that, city. We did that in high school. So yeah. we were ready to move on way before people that we met in college. They were just getting into it, and we're like, and again, okay, we, we were, were in of... another spot. I mean, we were married. Nobody our age there, and and we didn't feel like we were missing. And yeah, we'd yeah. kind of done that. When you both were thinking about getting married, did you have any thoughts in the back of your mind that oh, we're going to miss this whole typical college stage where? You know, we date like 20 people each, and, and we just sort of, I don't know what we do in no. college. Okay. Nope. And you're both looking at me like that is completely unappealing. Why would people want to do that? That's kind of what I'm picking up from you guys. Yeah. And again, I don't know if it's part of being part of a bigger family and also part of growing up in New Orleans maybe and having done it early, but it just, it had no appeal anymore. I mean, it was like... We'd kind of done that already. I mean, younger, way younger than most people, but, I mean, I just, I mean, I dated some other people. Um, we did what we did in New Orleans. Um, it was time to get to life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was like, I knew he was, I mean, he was my soulmate, and, I mean, why would I, it was just, why wait? Why? What are we waiting for? We know what we want, so... Let's how, just get married. How do you avoid... See, I, I mean, you obviously made the right decision. You're very, very happily married. You've got seven, I think, really wonderful, fantastic kids. But just kind of rewinding back to, say, 19 or 20, how do you avoid the whole social pressure that, oh, you're too young? Yeah, because we did get a lot of that from people. Our, our story, though, was pretty unique. So, and every and everybody kind of knew that. Our history together, everything else. Our, I mean, our, we grew up blocks from each other. Our families were so similar to each other. We... Knew each other. I mean, it just... And the people who did say that, it's just like, well, we just know. So, it doesn't matter. We just know. It's not like... impervious to criticism. Pretty pretty much. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. I mean, because I think if we were to let that get to us, we may have been like, maybe maybe they're right. But we were just like, 
they're not right. We know what we want, and we just, yeah. We both went into it with the mindset of this is forever. It's not something that could ever be dissolved. Like, and, and that's also a good thing when you know, when you know there's no out for the other person, the other person's not going to like pull the rug out from under you and file for divorce two years down the road because right. they're bored. That that's not an option. Right. Never was an option that we have to work through everything. You're both going in at the same exact level and know, you know, you're on equal footing. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I just kind of wonder about is, you know, some people will say dating is magical. You know, it can be candlelight and wine glasses and romance and roses and adventure. Then once you have that first child, well, then it's just a complete different thing. It, then it's a lot of work and maybe mm-hmm. it's not getting enough sleep and things like that. So what was it like having that very first kiddo? See, I, I think our experience was totally different than that. I don't know. Maybe we're just, I mean, dating... In sixth grade, was probably magical. And then in high school, too. But by the time we got married... I think high school know, and college, life, we, we, we got to do that. Yeah. Um, and then... So then it was like a new flame got ignited when Jerome was born, our first baby. Then it's more excitement, not less. It's like... It's um, not like yeah. we were bored with each other or anything or like... But it's not like having a baby diminished anything. It increased it. It's then like, here's this new goal, this new partnership to work around, this new, look at this life that we made. Can you believe this? this is amazing. I never it, felt like, you know, joy. wow, we don't get to go out or anything. Which is why I we never had seven. Felt I mean, because every, the next one, it's like, can't yeah, wait to like, see what this next He's so one cute. Is. I want another one. And then people are like, <laughs> seven. How? And I'm like, which one, do you, which one would you get rid of? I mean, right. Look at them exactly. All. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, how do you let them vote? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> And on some days, if you ask me, it varies. I mean, I could pick one or two. <laughs> so, I guess realistically speaking, since it's buried, they all have to go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And eventually, they all do go to the house. Okay, no. so one was exciting. Uh, what's easier, having one or having two? Two. One, I think, is the hardest. Because you go from being totally independent, being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want... To this seemingly fragile being that you could, like, kill off accidentally at any point. Because you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. And And you're so worried that they're super fragile and you may do something wrong. I remember sitting down to dinner and Jerome was back in his baby bed. And every time he'd, like, make a peep or cry, somebody would jump up and go check on him. Fast forward to, like, number three or four when... You know, he's been crying for 20 minutes. Is that, should we go see if something's wrong? <laughs> no, or will he eventually fall back asleep? Yeah. No, but I think the first is hardest be- just because it's the biggest life change. You go from none to one to this person who's totally dependent on you. Right. Um, your life completely changed. I mean, I honestly think that zero to one is the hardest. Okay, zero to one is the hardest. And I, I've read, I don't know, maybe psychologists say that that's the biggest change most people will go through in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, unless, I don't know, you're a combat soldier and you go off to war, or I don't know, you're a lady living in a village and you get overrun by the foreign army or something. Uh, chances are having a kid is the biggest change most people will go through, marriage yeah. being second. But I don't know. You've had seven. I don't know if that's fair to say. So two, two is easier than one, probably, because you're it's a little, you're more relaxed. Yeah, you know. You can enjoy it a little bit more. You've you kind of have a blueprint. And a you're still not outnumbered yeah. yet because it's only two. Three is hard also. 
I think. Once you hit that number three, you don't have enough arms for all of them at once <laughs> yeah. anymore. That's a little bit stressful. But then beyond that, it's actually, I mean, it, it decreases with the number, I think. And then, yeah, because then they're all slowly getting older. And so it's not like you More have helpful. seven infants yeah. at a time. I mean, you know, um, the, the oldest ones are more independent and you know so issues and problems change everything i mean it's all coming new every year yeah new things okay so i, I want to kind of ask then uh what happens when the first one hits junior high or teenage years uh you just hear any number of parents say things like you know i i had no idea what was coming and uh things just radically changed and, of course, uh, you're providing all the stability. And so when they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, a lot of kids are really pretty easy. They, they seem startlingly mature at that age. They're intelligent. They like to talk with you. They, mm-hmm. they really like you. Depending on the kid, correct. Yeah, yeah. depending on the kid, I guess. What happens with the teenage years? So I wouldn't say that we didn't know it was coming because... We had a lot of siblings, and so, okay. yeah... And you can yeah. count. You yeah. can look at the calendar and go, yeah, and like, be good. And, and we also lived through it ourselves. Okay. And not um, that long ago. In our minds, yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. I mean, it yeah. really wasn't. And actually, some of our siblings, my youngest sibling is 10 years younger than me, so um, there wasn't two, I mean, maybe Nancy was 83, Jerome was, I don't know, maybe 10 years or something. That's not really that Between much. Between your youngest sibling and your first child. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's like, I mean, we kind of knew it was coming, but it wasn't a drastic thing. I mean, Drew was a, I mean, he was definitely a teenage boy, but it wasn't anything like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I mean, I mean the way the way we handled it, the way we, the way we did things, did change a lot. Over oh the yeah, years for sure. As we progressed through the kids, we learned what worked and didn't work. Mm-hmm. We were probably a lot more strict with our first. He was definitely a guinea pig. Sure. Made a lot of mistakes, but because with the first, I feel like uh, you want to kind of keep them in a bubble, um, even though you know what's out there. I mean, we're not stupid with right. what's out right, there. Right, right, right. And you want to be protective and keep them in this bubble. and you know, Because you don't want him influenced. So he's one of seven, so you got six in this, definitely down here, who are, they don't need to be seeing this stuff or doing that stuff. And then you've got him. And as you progress through and you have more that are outside of your core at home, that influence then tends to influence the younger ones mm. way beyond what you have any ability to control. Let's just say TV shows they watch, for instance, books they read, people coming over, conversations they overhear, bad language that they pick up on, yeah. just everything. And that, that's, that goes a long way to how the younger ones in a big family are raised compared to the older ones, which is why I jokingly say they're half raised by their siblings by, by the end, because uh-huh. they kind of are, because they spend a heck of a lot of time with them. And yeah, but the other good thing I feel about it is that with the having the older ones go through it and then the younger ones, it's like these conversations come up that wouldn't necessarily come up unless you had those older siblings going through it. So, like, I always think of it as everything is a uh, like a tool, like a, an education tool. Okay, all right, here's an opportunity to learn. All right. Um, so these things are opportunities. Yes. Like if the oldest one comes home, and I don't know, like let's say this one's 19, and then the youngest one is, I don't know, maybe 6, and then or, or how about, say, 21, and the youngest one is 8. Maybe the 21-year-old wants to have a beer. So then the 8-year-old just kind of sees this, kind of grows up with, 
But I mean, this could be anything. They're talking about college. They're right. talking about high right. school. They just get exposed to everything. Right. Right. This way. Whereas, if you took that first child when he was eight, had no idea most of this stuff even existed. <laughs> right. 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 By the time the other one, the eight-year-old, is say ten or twelve, they could probably write a book. Right. Exactly. They know so much. Exactly. So, so, gosh, this maybe sort of blows the stereotype of the baby of the family actually being the baby of the family. Maybe they're the most mature one. I've, of the I found family. that they usually are. Yes, yeah. they've seen our baby diet. siblings, right. like my youngest brother, because his youngest sister, he was number three of eight. I was number three of seven. Um, and I'm almost envious of the of them because they. I don't know. They, they reaped a lot of benefits of did. us blazing the way before. Right. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, do the they, younger ones look at the older ones and say, hey, that's cool. I'm going to do that too? Yeah, sometimes, actually. And, and they, they do. They emulate them. And, and there's a lot of opportunity for the older ones to give advice in ways that parents really can't, hmm. where, the, where the younger sibling is more receptive to okay. said advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, and probably not couched as advice, just as, hey, you should do this. Sort of thing. And not what mom just, said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to listen to that. Yeah. Well, all of this is predicated, I think, on the kids turning out well, and I feel like all seven of yours turned out well. Can you give us just a brief sentence or two about each kid? Sure. sure. <laughs> um, so we'll start with Jerome. He's the oldest. Um, he is uh, very, well, he's... Uh, very set in his ways. Um, he knows what he wants. Um, very hardworking. Um, he doesn't really... Um, he just kind of does his own thing. Um, you know, it doesn't matter, like, if his siblings make fun of him or anything. Um, he just kind of knows what he wants. Gets it. He'll get teased. He'll laugh about it. Um, would you say that's... Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. He knows they love him. So if they oh, tease yeah. him, yeah. so what? Right, exactly. And then Andrew, very driven, very loving, good-hearted, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of, and, and the funny thing is, is they kind of stay the same way they were born. Yeah. And you can see it as a two-year-old, very huggy, very soft. And, yeah. yeah. See, yeah. this is my theory, that people really don't change very much between the age of two and 102. Yeah. This is, I totally believe this with all my heart. Yeah. And, like, to go back to Jerome, um, he's always been a natural leader, and uh, this is where, you know, the change may come because uh, he would have his little siblings and his cousins, because we used to live in New Orleans by our, all our first cousins, and they would all follow him like he was the leader and he was always, you know, they'd do whatever he said. I'm like, Jerome, you need to be a little less like Hitler, okay? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I said, you have natural leadership qualities you really do you're a good leader just be less like Hitler and you know so um that's just something he is he is he's a good leader and that's Um, the other another funny quick story that about him just as an oldest child and people with oldest children probably see this too I remember clearly him in the elevator and he'd have his arms out holding back all the other siblings from pressing any buttons like the alarm yeah like the protector or he took it all very seriously he had a job to do and he was a rule follower and it was that you know nobody will touch anything <laughs> yeah. that's great yeah yeah okay and so then andrew is driven and makes lists and uh follows them through mm-hmm. and who's next steven steven yeah steven uh 
He's funny. He's got a great sense of humor. He's, he's often the foil. And that was the position he played as the third brother in a row, too, so close together. Um, and, yeah, just a great soul. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's going to law school next year. And But I've been telling him since he was, I don't know how old, that he would be a great lawyer because he's always arguing. Argu- he yeah. loves to debate um, I mean, I would find that, you know, he would start to, like, argue something with me, and he would change my opinion. Mm. I mean, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not going to say anything, but he totally changed my opinion. I mean, he's nine, right? <laughs> I <Wow>. mean... <laughs> so. Okay, so you can stay up till midnight. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Here are the characters. <laughs> but he just, yeah, he's... Um, and he, he, like, well, they all do. I think they all love being with their family, but, um, you know, he just... He's also a really hard worker. Um, oh, very much so. I mean, these guys, uh, they wrestled, and yeah. they just got in colossally good shape, and you have to be so meticulously disciplined about your diet. And uh, Stephen is also, I think, verbally disciplined because I had him in class, and he never argued with me about anything. So maybe, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, oh, that's disrespectful, but he was just always friendly. He was always polite. He was always a generous soul. So I, I just find it fascinating now that he's going to be a sharp lawyer yeah, with a sharp yeah. pencil. Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Mary Lucy, she was the first girl. So, um, you know, that was a shocker after three boys, you know, to say, for them to say, it's a girl. I'm like, it's a what? What? We have to get pink? What, what, do, you, what do I do with this? Um, she was not a very girly girl. She's no, no, no. Very protect her were they chivalrous or did they just beat she up she was on another her? one of the guys through through her youth they protected more as she as she as started she, to yeah. blossom into a girl a recognizable girl got it <laughs> got it oh and she's five they're just like you just are another a, one of the guys she was she a, and she wanted to be knocked down and dragged around like anybody yeah, else yeah yeah she she would always say you know um she was just one of the guys and um, she was tough. Well, she still is tough, but, um, yeah, but then, because she always told me that she was never going to wear the uniform skirt for, you know, for the Catholic grade school. She's right. like, never, I'm always going to wear pants. And then seventh grade came around and she's like, mom, I might try a skirt. Uh-huh. So I get her a skirt. She wears it one day and she's like, no, I'm done with skirts. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it took her kind of till high school, you know, till she finally decided she, you know, was going to be more, maybe not decided, it just kind of happened naturally, but, um, yeah, but she, she's a tough one. Um, but great, great heart. Um, oh, very, she can lay on the chart. Very loyal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She can either be charming or she can be tough as nails. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, she's also a very hard worker. Um, she has a few jobs. She's a lifeguard. She teaches swimming lessons, working yeah. at a, um, consignment store. What, what is that? Oh, the it? furniture store. Yeah. 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 Nice. Okay. And then after Mary Lucy? Mikey. Okay. So Mikey was, all, he was, you were asking about quiet one. He was a really quiet child and he still kind of is, um, kind of more like Andrew used to be. Andrew, but he's slowly coming out of his shell a little bit and is a little more 
easier to engage with, but that's just naturally he's always been that way. Mm-hmm. He, he loved he loved to hug on his mama a lot. He would hide behind by yeah, he would my hide leg. behind her legs and yeah. peek out. Because he, he <laughs> he's scared of Mary Lucy. No, Probably. Just, just, just with strangers, not at, at home. At home, if you okay. hold his own, oh, yeah. he can rumble around with anybody. Um, Do they get progressively soft spoken as they go? Um, yes, until the... Uh, it depends on which one you ask. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> if you ask them, they have their own opinions. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Because that curve happens, and the, the older three think they had it tougher in a lot of ways, and they probably abused each other much more, although the last one probably took a head. So it just depends on who you ask. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. The rebuttal will be next week with the kids. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but Mikey, um, you know, just a really quiet, gentle soul. Very smart, um, yeah. A very smart, um, loves his football, and when he loves something, he'll work for it. So that was his... Thing that uh, that he's always loved, and and he's a hard worker too. He's got two jobs this summer yeah. too to pay, start wow. paying for college. Wow! Some days he'll come home from one and, and then do another eight hour shift at the other one, and a couple of days a week. And yeah, now they're all working this summer. I mean, we've Pretty got much. this massive yeah. unemployment situation going on in June, July of 2020, and yet a bunch of them have they're, one job. Some jobs of them have out there to have two mm-hmm. jobs. Some of them have got yeah. three jobs. Yeah. They, they find what, you know, it's, it's the food stuff, the, well, now with Mary Lucy, you know, the people want to do swimming lessons, so she does them at people's different pools, and um, they're finding ways. Yeah. They're resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, entrepreneurial. Yeah. Hardworking. All those things. Yeah. Okay. After Mikey. And then Marguerite, who, um, Marguerite is very similar to Mikey, I think, personality-wise. Um, not quite as quiet. I don't think, but... Um, but she's taken in a lot over the years. She's very wise for her age. Okay. Very, very smart also. Doesn't uh, strive for as high grades perhaps in school, but that doesn't always matter that much. Uh-huh. Andrew is another one who did But she has a big well, but heart. She's done very well in the real world. Big heart. She's always the one who, um, you know, even when she was younger, she'd be writing little notes to people about, you know, their good qualities and how much she loves them being a brother you're the best sister or she just always likes to keep the peace and okay she's a peacemaker i would say so yeah okay. just a sweet gentle loving soul yeah that's great yeah and then finally john he is the family clown <laughs> but but in seriousness he is funny he's another funny one but He's, uh, he's also taken a lot of abuse from all of those all of these years growing up, which has formed his character. He's, he's a great, I mean, he's probably the most mature 13-year-old you'll run into. Mm. And uh, um, everybody, I mean, I haven't found anybody who doesn't like him. He has a ton of friends. I mean, um, he can, so he'll walk up, up to adults to and just have conversations. And, I mean, way more comfortable than I ever was as a teenager, you know. Takes his uh, school seriously, yeah. self-motivated with that. Just knows by talking to his siblings that you need to do well in this if you want to do X, Y, Z after. Right now, his focus is football, and he's working out two times a day, some days three times a day, depending on who he's going with, doing different workouts with Liz and Andrew and with Steven and with uh, CYO and then with Radke and with, you know. Yeah. Well, what I just find amazing and impressive and awesome is, is your kids are all intellectually interested and they want to be disciplined but then also physically you know they're trying to train their bodies trying to train their minds and they're good to each other 
I mean, that's a lot. Heart, mind, body, soul. I yeah. mean, their faith is important to them. Those are, in my mind, those are the four dimensions of life. Heart, mind, body, soul. And they're hitting all of them. Do you I two mean, have a model of parenting? Did we, you have a strategy or a If you're asking, did we have good parents? Yes, I think we did. But did they parent the same way we do? No. It was a different time. Um, I guess what I'm asking is, well, yeah, go ahead. Go with, the, with that first. But then I want to know about strategy. The strategy evolved, really. Yeah, I think it I mean, did it evolve. has to as you, as you weigh and, and I see just, things that work and don't work. And plus, every, every child is different. You cannot apply the same strategy to every one of your children. When you have seven, you got seven unique individuals. Hmm. You may be able to lump them into similarities, but there may be one that when he's 10, you have to like get red in the face and have spittle flying out your mouth as you discuss <laughs> things with him. And that may be the only way, <laughs> Stephen, that you can yes, get your point exactly. across. And if, but if you turn that same fire toward somebody like Andrew, who's a lot more tender, Mikey. you would just burn him to no, the No, all you have to do with Andrew and that person, Andrew and Mikey, is give him a look. I mean, so it's just every kid's different. But back to like the, the blueprint or whatever. Um, yeah. It, like for my parents, they were good parents, and I think it. But it was a different time, and so I know there are things from my childhood that I wanted to do different, and I had in my mind that I was definitely going to do different. And the main thing was communication for me. Um, we just, I, I think it was just a generational thing. Yeah, for us, it became a lot more about. Relationship. Relationships and, and communication. Less about, less about rules, rule breaking, punishment okay. for that exact infraction. More of relationship, work with, make, communicate. Weave. Yeah. Because each one is different. So, you know, like he said, I mean, with one, the, the same punishment is not going to fit for, you know, all kids. And so, and also, but it's also the communication. I mean, why are. Why are we disappointed in you about this? Let, let's talk about this. And, you know, it's not because growing up, I mean, for me, it was just like, you know, I hate to say it, but it was like, that's wrong and you're going to hell. <laughs> I mean, you're right, like, right, right. Um, okay, well, can I have an explanation, please? I mean, you and, can't just lay down the law. No, you can't. You have to have, I mean, you have to have communication and, you know, why is this wrong? I mean, and reasons. Re- yeah. Yeah. And so I knew that that was one thing, one huge thing that I wanted to do differently as a parent. And I don't know. So, I mean, you asked for a blueprint, I guess, from the 10,000-foot level, 100,000-foot level, to get our kids to heaven. Yeah. Blueprint. I mean, we we want that to happen. And so in order for that to happen, what things do you need to do? And, I mean, relationship with God, that's one of the things. And imparting how important our faith is to our kids and trying to pass that on as one of the most important things that we can do because I think that that's one of the integral things in their lives. Good, strong faith life, good Mm. core, everything else will follow. Well, that's another thing from my childhood um, that as far as faith life kind of goes hand in hand. But um, I was afraid of God. I thought he was mean and judgmental. And I, I didn't understand the God is loving thing. And I don't want to, like, you know, put my parents down in that because I know that, you know, they were good parents and they did what they thought, you know, not that what I'm doing is any better, but I just, it wasn't until I was a young adult that I started to understand the God is love and merciful. Like he's not just this mean guy in the sky, 
<laughs> you know? So, um, you know, because growing up, it was, it was like, be good or you'll go to hell. Be good or you'll go to hell. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. So there was no, like, you know, I wanted my kids to understand, like, you know, that God loves you. He's also just and merciful. I mean, you can't just do anything, you know. Uh, I mean, there are reasons why there's the Ten Commandments. And, um, you know, so that that's just... Kind of a balance of, between law balance. and discipline. Yes. It's kind of what I'm hearing. Whereas, I don't know. Like, I, I get this from my parents. Uh, I, I think they definitely grew up with this... Uh, heavy hand of God theory, you know, God of fear. I think some people would call him, be afraid. Yeah. And then maybe there was like a, the pendulum swung very far to the other side of God of love, like maybe no standards at all. Right. And so then maybe the right place is probably in the middle. Yeah, the I balance. Don't know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's the balance. Okay, let me ask about, uh, I remember reading in a psychology book, models of parenting like the authoritarian, that's kind of like the tyrant that you guys mentioned, like follow the rules because I said so and yelling, that kind of thing. And then there's authoritarian. This was considered to be the best. And that's where if the kid breaks the rules, the parents uh, would explain to the kids why these are rules in the first place. And you always want to keep the conversation open. You might still have discipline. There might still be a grounding or there might be a punishment, but the kid is fully informed. Do you have a thought one way or the other on, on these two models? I mean, there's more. There's the neglectful parrot, but that shouldn't really count. <laughs> and then there's like the democratic parrot, and that's where everybody votes on every yeah, single no, issue, so. which means that every meal is going to be ice cream. You know, right, you know? right, right. No, but it's funny that the older our kids get and the more we have out in the adult world, the more they think they can democratically parent their younger siblings and like overrule us and or try and tell us what the results should be to the yeah yeah oh yeah. they have lots of opinions <laughs> oh, as to yes, how the younger do. ones should be raised <laughs> yes. are the older ones thinking how come you're so loose and limber Sometimes, with the younger yeah. ones and you are so strict and tightly wound with it's, us it's, uh, it's in particular bound, in particular happy. jerome because he was the oldest and um you know like i say poor thing he was kind of a guinea pig um you know, yeah. so so probably he would probably, I say, feels that the most. Yeah. But in any large family, it's going to happen that way. And the, the way I always think about it, like I said, is the number the number in each crowd. As you get more that have moved out of this little protective bubble, their influence is now greater toward this smaller number here. And so they're now influenced by all these older kids around all the time doing older kids things. So, yeah. So the younger ones grow up faster, basically. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then I've, also, I've also read in a psychology book, and this is just stuff from a book. So I guess we'll see if it survives the real world. Uh, there were four models, and only one of them was considered good. There was warm and permissive parents. Warm meaning like friendly. Permissive meaning let them do what they want. Then there was warm and strict. There was cold and strict. And then there was cold and permissive. Which I think cold and permissive is interesting. Like we're, <laughs> no. we're gonna yell at the kids, we're gonna be cold to them, yeah, no. and then we're gonna let them do whatever the hell they feel like yeah, doing. Yeah, right, right. It's like well, a hall monitor or something. Yeah, what was that yeah. second one you said? Warm and warm and strict. Warm and strict. Warm and permissive. Cold and strict, cold and permissive. Yeah. Thoughts on any of that? I like none of those. Okay. Because I think strict is too strict and permissive is too permissive. So warm and somewhere between those two is really where you want to try and land. Gotcha. Warm and flexible. 
warm and reasonable. Okay. Uh, warm yeah, and that's right a good one. Warm and reasonable. Along with the right level of mercy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Built yeah. into the relationship with them. Well, here's what I want to know then your secret sauce. All of your kids are hard workers, all of your kids are generous toward other people. How did that happen? I think it just happened from the life experience that we were, that we've lived through. Um, you know, with, especially with the hardship that we went through there for several years, um, which, you know, I, I'll always, it was like the hardest part of our marriage so far, but it's mm. like we've had the greatest blessings from it. Um, but there were, yeah, Christmas time, other times like that, but we didn't have much, and, and uh, we used some of the services to supply presents, and I remember, well, finding out years later that, like, Stephen and Mary Lucy went and found them hidden before we rewrapped and relabeled them, because they were, like, written as 12-year-old boy, boy, num- boy um, nine-year-old nine girl, or whatever, and they were like, and, you know, but knowing that we had to go through that to try and give them something... Um, has a, a lot of those a lot of those little things where they were very thankful for the things they got in life because they knew how much it how, mu- how much it actually cost and then how much it cost to us but as a percentage of what we had to give that um, they were really thankful I think and appreciative of everything we gave them they didn't take much of that for granted and also I think had the added effect of making them less materialistic mm-hmm. and not really you know trying to and, and uh, pile up a bunch no. of goods. They never asked for really stuff they should. Some, like, like would we, think that they should. Yeah, like their Christmas lists are not like your typical. And then the past teenage. couple of years, they had the idea of why don't we just each person writes a letter to all of the siblings and their parents, and we put that in the tree, and that's what we give. So wow. we have our tree is just full of envelopes. Wow. Notes to each other. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And they loved it. Like the first year that we did it, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to go over, but the next year they were like, let's do that again. Okay. It's like the gift of each other. Wow. Yeah. And, the, and just their, their love of family. I mean, every year we make it a point this year will be the first one in 20 years. We haven't been down to New Orleans where they get to interact with all their first cousins from her side of the family and then her, their cousins from my side of the family. I think there are, how many are there anyway? There's a ton. Now, like 40, 50 total. First cousins. Yeah. And, and they're all close enough in age with each other. So yeah, they, they have a blast. They have a good time. They, yeah. But yeah, we won't be able to do that this year because of COVID, but. But I mean, I think that influenced them some too, as far as how important family is. Yeah. So it just got underscored. Family was just gigantic all the way through. Yeah. And uh, then just, I guess, those years of poverty just really stressed, you know, the need to stick together and really to not for, be too materialistic. Right, and it formed a lot of character in them. They, they all have stories, which is, it's, it, it, it's um, I don't want to say it makes me sad, but it makes me, like, I wish I could have provided more, but maybe that's not how it was supposed to be. Yeah. I hear some of these stories come out. Um, Do you have one? uh, Steven in the concession stand at the the wrestling tournament or whatever. This is probably back when we were, we had nothing. I mean, so we would go to these wrestling tournaments with them and we'd pack a little bit of food from home and stuff and we'd run out. I'd have no cash in my wallet or whatever and... What did he say? He went up there and he had a dollar. He was trying, and to, he trying looks, to buy something. He looks and there was like a, a protein bar for three dollars, and he's and he like muttered out loud, three dollars? We can't afford that." 
And some lady, I guess, overheard him and was like, oh, I have some extras. My son's not eating them or whatever, you know, and so gave him a bunch of protein bar, you know, but he's like, but it's just like, yeah. you know, just there's, well, another one that um, a few years ago when, remember when our dishwasher broke? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we were like, we're not getting a new one until we save up, blah, blah, blah. And was it Christmas? It was Christmas. They all pulled their money together and... Surprised us with the dishwasher. Wow. And it was, wasn't an insignificant amount of money. Either. No, I mean, no. Took, so... They took their Christmas money from other people that had paid them, like, godparents and whatever, and, and piled it all in and bought us a dishwasher. That's an amazing very, gift very if you have seven yes. kids. Well, and just... All those that, dishes. The, the, that it was in their hearts right, to, to, to give us. up... Right. Their own Christmas money and stuff. Um, you know, they recognized, um, you know, just that it was just very um, gratifying and humbling. And, it, it, yeah. you know, I mean, like. It's one of those aha moments where. Like, maybe, like, maybe, maybe we're we doing something do right. Yeah, I guess so. Last <laughs> Christmas, same thing, where Stephen and the rest of them put together the 401k plan for us. Wow. Um, where as they graduated from from school and got a job, they would each kick in X amount a month and pay into this because they know that we spent all of the 401k money back when we had no money. And we have very little now. And we, we've always jokingly said we're going to be basement hopping and living in the If you look out your window and you see a lady that looks kind of like your mom, but she has a grocery basket with, <laughs> with just a few things, uh, maybe you're like, Mom, you can come stay here. <laughs> I could just see the oldest ones getting together with the younger ones and saying, you know, we have to come up with a 401k plan or they're going to be living in our basement. <laughs> exactly. It was more about, yeah, it's more about they're not going to live in our basement. But, but yeah. just, the, just the thought and the, the care that went into that, that was, that was very amazing. It's fantastic. Okay, so let me do kind of a lightning round of questions on these type of just basic things that families have to do. What are your thoughts on scheduling kids' activities? Um, okay. So we're not big on having a million activities for all the kids. Um, you know, I mean, basically all we can handle is one activity per kid per season. Um, and they, I mean, unless we have to drive them, which, you know, obviously the ones that, uh, don't drive, I mean, basically it's not really too much of an issue because we're not overscheduling. Right. Hmm. And that was always a thing with us. Um, and that, that's another thing. One of the benefits of having so many is that they, they run around, they do their own thing. They're not like constantly bothering you to go do another sport, be taken somewhere and do something else. But so when it did happen kind of in the middle or, or the early part of the years, we would limit them to the number of sports they could partake in. Okay. At, yeah. at any one time. I mean, yeah. cause and it's kind of, it's You're not gonna be ridiculous a and overkill. Major league baseball player. You're Nobody's not gonna <laughs> be in the NFL. You're not, these things are fun to do and all, but you know, this is just one part of your life. Gotcha. So kind of keep it in proportion. Keep it realistic. Yeah. yeah, realistic. Which is probably helpful versus, I don't know, some people just seem like they go all in. Mm -hmm. I guess it works for some people. 
Yeah. But I don't know. Well, it kind of seems like uh, it works more for people who don't have as many kids. Mm, yeah. Because you have all yeah. that, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just how it is for I mean, there's so many of them. And they got to do what they liked to do and wanted to do. And I don't think they're suffering for no, it. No. No. As a matter of fact, I think when they were younger, when Jerome, Andrew, and Stephen were younger, and I think I was feeling pressure because everybody's like, I mean, are they going to be at soccer? And blah, blah. So I signed them up for soccer. And every time it was time for practice, I'd have to drag them out of the yard. And they'd be like, we just want to stay here and play. Do we have to go to soccer? I'm like, all right, fine. I am not doing this. You tell me when you're ready, okay? Because I'm not doing I mean, you know, why am I dragging them out of the yard when they're having fun together? Do they know how to play to this day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they all work hard, and yet they all know how to play. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. they know how to play. Where They're always out in the yard. They pick up basketball games and the football in the yard and the Xbox down there. and the, yeah. See, have, I think uh, that's fantastic. I, I feel like a lot of people turn sports into just this grueling job. Um, you know, various high school sports and things like that. It just seems to me like it's great that they know how to play. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So maybe one activity and then having a lot of siblings to play with yeah, that's is what just I a good. How about grades? What was your philosophy on grades? We talked about this a little off off mic earlier. We've never been ones to do our kids' homework um, and really just imparted to them the importance of getting good grades to be able to do what they want to do later in life and also because if, as, as they got older, um, if they wanted to go away to college or do anything college at all, then they needed good grades because we couldn't afford to pay for them to go other places. Um, so that there was that part of it. And so it kind of evolved and it depended on the child too, but almost all of our kids were either in competition with each other okay. or, or managed themselves well enough that they didn't need to be told. I mean, occasionally you'd have to look at the report card and say, what's going on with this? You might have to have a few consequences, but really we were blessed with not having Never. any of that, really. Mm. Yeah. And it, I don't know whether it goes back to instilling a love of reading in our kids early on. We did, for the first several kids, we almost never let the TV turn on yeah. um, back in those days. And they we just went to the books. library. We went to the library. We, we let them play with Lord of the Rings action figures and Playmobil and dress up and play outside and hit each other with swords and shoot each other with <laughs> and all that stuff and just let their minds go and you know but they always knew that we weren't we weren't there to do their homework that's their job I mean I always told them if you have a question and you need help definitely come to me but this is not my job that's your job so when people you know when they're like you have seven kids how do you do all that homework I'm like I don't do their homework they do their homework. We don't do their projects. We don't do... I mean, well, that is their job. Because <laughs> you do go to school and see all it the is. done projects and then the couple of kid done ones and you're like, yeah, that looks pretty bad. <laughs> 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 but it is, what it is. Well, okay. I just feel bad for those lazy parents who are not doing their kids' homework. <laughs> How are they supposed to learn what they should have exactly. learned when they were in sixth Exactly. Grade? Yeah, and part of that anyway is, you know, I did try to homeschool some, um, and it, it lasted until Jerome was in fourth grade, or Ella's was in fourth grade, and I was trying to do fourth grade math with him, and I had no idea how to teach it. Okay. It's like in my head, like right, right, right. I know how to do it, but how do you teach somebody how to do this? So we were button heads. He's like, I don't understand. I'm like, I don't know. 
you just do this. Wait till dad comes home. <laughs> and so, you know, it was, um, I'm, that gave me um, a very great appreciation for teachers. Mm. You know, like teachers know how to teach. I mean. Well, I've heard other teachers too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm a teacher. I guess I'm jealous of yeah. those other teachers out there. So that's great. But um, yeah, so I guess maybe they knew that uh, if they if they asked me for help, I wasn't really going to be able to help. Okay, but. so you, you really limited the screen time, and you emphasized the reading early on. That evolved. Okay, um, as you got but, looser, and, and just as things changed, you know, as somebody comes home and he's in high school or college, then and there watching more TV and playing games, and then games became a bigger thing. You know, Xbox yeah. came out. And, yeah. And so then they could they could do do acts of service or chores in order to buy more screen time. Yeah. Sort of thing. And then, uh, it was I mean, like... Just life evolves. and But the outcome has kind of seemed to remain the same across the board. I mean, we did we have always, all the way to the last one, forced them to read for certain blocks of time during the day. Um, and that seems to have paid off. Very well. Okay, so that was a scheduled thing. Reading was a scheduled thing. Yes, you would have to read a, a couple hours a day. Well, and not necessarily scheduled like a certain time, but like say if John said, can I play whatever, I'd say if you read for an hour, then you can play. Nice. I, I just think reading is, is so important. Oh, yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. You can yeah. teach yourself all kinds of things. Right. Yeah, right. I just think it's absolutely essential, personally. Yeah. But my I mean, mom we're was not as as good about that as we used to be, and I think that kind of came because, especially when I started, you know, when I had to work full time, um, and I kind of a lot of times feel like, you know, maybe I'm falling. I probably am falling short just because I'm working full time. I can't like be monitoring as much as I'd like to. So that has kind of fallen through the cracks some. Um, but I feel like John is really, uh, Marguerite doesn't do like games and stuff, but, um, John kind of self Right, he does. And so if you look at the spectrum here, we went from no TV or very little, a couple of videos that they could watch around that age, slide it all the way down to, did you do your homework? Yes. Okay. TV goes on. And the outcome of both. And bedtime is about the same. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe it's just the norming effect of the having the rest of the family behave that way. Maybe so. Okay, so reading was important. Screen time was limited. It adjusted over time. Uh, what was your philosophy on nutrition, fitness, those type of things? They you know, like some parents just feed their kids donuts and energy yeah. drinks. Our, our, our moderation. On, yeah, it was moderation. And really talking to pediatricians too who are like okay what is he eating pizza and you know that they really love the heated up frozen pizza and macaroni and cheese and broccoli and they're like okay growing well keep feeding them that <laughs> 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 so, so kind of that that philosophy i mean it wasn't like junk food it was just like kind of moderation um we weren't like and we were never ones to make you clean your plate Mm-hmm. Ever from the beginning, I was never a believer in that. I think that that that, that gives terrible eating habits. Right, force people to eat when they're not hungry. Yeah. Um, when they were younger, we ate together as a family a lot more. As as they got busier and went away to school and had jobs, and that became a lot harder to do. And the point at which we are now is that I'd send the group text, 
dinner's ready. They could come from multiple houses or jobs or... But I, I feel like we were just kind of um, moderation. Like, we didn't push anything. Like, think, I mean, we had fruits and vegetables and blah, blah, blah. But, um, but now that they're older, they're all very nutritious yes. conscious. Annoyingly like, so. Uh, yeah. Because they're the expensive, more nutritious foods that I'm willing to buy. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Go buy that, that split green, seven green, sprouted green stuff yourself. It costs three times as much as normal bread. And, and right. some of them, like Andrew, he loved sweets. I mean, he was always trying to eat candy and soft drinks involved and you're like oh i'm worried about this kid and then but he guess turned what? into this super fit beast that's yeah. what i mean it's like they 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 come to realize at a certain age i think you know it's like hmm okay this isn't really that great not that i mean we didn't supply it he would go he looking for it ice cream sweet too yeah there's only one left yeah. yeah but i just think moderation moderation yeah you guys are just so laid back and casual, and yet they all have wound up in this really, really great place. Thanks. It's just amazing to me. It's like <laughs> laissez-faire parenting must be the way to go. I, I hesitate <laughs> to fully recommend that. It's just there, there's so much more to it. I mean, if you looked at it from the outside, it, it may look like that. Oh, sure. But there's, yeah, there's a lot of nuances. Oh, well, there's, there's yeah. There's so, so much of the relationship. There's so much of the interaction of, of the family group as a whole. I think another big thing is choosing your battles. Like, you know, there's just some things that can just be nitpicky, maybe. Like, um, kid gets a B minus on a report card when you're used to straight A's. Right. You could pick the kid to death. Like a kid like John. Um, so let let's give that as an example because. Yeah, um, you know, if You're, I nitpicked him, I was like, Joe, you got to be nice, blah, blah, And he's like, but mom, I tried my hardest and blah, you know, because I, I know he, that he, he did. He himself to that. He does. In that case, and you have to come to the, his, his support on the other end and be like, it's right. not that bad. And that's what I mean later, about choosing fine. your battles, and especially with each kid, because, you know, that B minus for John, you know, May have been the highest grade that somebody else got. Over. Or well, not just that, but it, like if he really tried and stuff, and I'm sitting there, you know, berating him because he got a B minus. Okay, that's not really. It, it's just it's kind of taking each situation with each kid. I mean, there's no blanket approach. There's just if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, flexibility. It's kind of an art of war, Sun Tzu type of thing. They would say, like, where your enemy is strong, well, I guess you don't attack there. You know, you find, like, the other spots, so to speak. You know, if the enemy is, I don't know, impervious, then you send spies. If the enemy is uh, weak, then you send the army. Just Right. He's always about doing the opposite, basically. And it sounds like, well, if you got this kid who's straight A and he's going to nitpick himself, well, then we're going to... Tell him to not pick himself. We're going to build him up instead. Right. But maybe you have the other one who never, ever uh, tries that hard in a given thing. Well, maybe that kid gets nitpicked in that area. Right, bit. right. Uh, okay, I'm pretty sure you can do better than that. <clears throat> or at least talk yeah. to about what they want to do in their lives and be like, this is on you. Mm-hmm. You know, all this is, you may not realize it now, it's riding on you. If you want to do these things, here, 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 you've right. got to do like the Like matter. the kids who say, this I want to go to LSU for college yeah. and you're like okay you know that's out of state tuition and it starts your freshman year so if you want to get scholarships to go to out of state tuition you need then to your grades up all through high school and then the report card comes in and it's low be like what are you doing this is on you yeah I mean, you said you wanted to do these things you're not doing what you need to do 
So you, you basically were straight shooters with them at a very early age yeah. mm-hmm. with college. Like if a kid says, oh, I want to be a doctor, then if they come in with a bunch of C's in math and science, then you say you can't get in C's in math and science. Or maybe not so drastic. You would more say it's going to be really, really difficult to be a doctor. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Or do you really like math and science? Yeah. Do they pick that up when they're in eighth grade that you're uh, saying uh, this is going to be Difficult, you know, with yeah. C classes. It depends on the kid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What do you worry about as parents? Their souls. I mean, ultimately, yeah. I mean. So, I mean, that ties in in so many parts. But, you know, another big part of that is finding a good soulmate for them. Or, or you know, if they're. I don't see it in any of my kids at this point. I mean, they could marry Jesus and be in the church and be a priest or a nun, but so far, none have looked like they're going that way. So to find a good soulmate for them. Okay. Well, yeah, and, and also that they find a vocation that they find is fulfilling and, you know, that they're not just following money. That's pretty deep and pretty powerful. The ultimate destiny of their soul is very important. And mm-hmm. then who they journey through life with Correct. Right. is but very, very important. One of their, that's going to be one of the biggest influences of, of Absolutely, all. yeah. Beyond us, right? And then for their kids. And so it's super important to me, and I always try and impart this to them, which it's hard to do, that you find somebody who shares your beliefs. I mean, because if, if you can enter into this journey with somebody who is also does not see divorce as an option and is willing to go the whole lifetime with you no matter what and meaning I mean not just saying no matter what like everybody says when they get married but no matter what yeah and but to mean it that, not yeah. to just say it correct and that that goes a long way to I mean because we when we went through those uh, rough years <laughs> that wasn't easy on the marriage either. Yeah. Which you probably never really anticipated because, gosh, that was 13 years ago, the crash of, of uh, 07 and 08. And you were married in what year? 91. 91. 91. So, I mean, this is a good 16, 17 years in. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is seven kids in. Right. We had so I, here and had gone through some boom years here and done yeah. well and it was still doing pretty well. And, yeah. yeah, and at that point, we had no family here anymore. Right. So we were just, we were by ourselves. Yeah. Uh huh. So it's just a case in point. Like, you don't, you don't just. I mean, believe me, there were times when it was like, well, those marriage vows are just so simple. You know, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, uh, in good times and bad, till death do us part. Not many loopholes there. No, and and I just thought that's just four simple pairings of ideas. That's all that is. And yet it's so comprehensive, it covers everything. Then you think about people who get married when they're 20, and then they, when they're 100, they celebrate their 80th wedding anniversary. And just think about all the changes yeah. that they personally go through. You go from no kids to seven kids to all the kids graduating and leaving the house. To grandkids. Yeah. yeah. To- Great grandkids by the time you're 100, probably maybe even great great. Yeah, <laughs> everything changes. Yeah, yeah. everything changes. Sure. Uh, is there anything about raising kids that we did not discuss that I'm we sure left off? 
can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about your future plans just a little bit because you're both not even 50 yet. And you're healthy and you're vigorous and you're mentally sharp and you could live, you know, another 50 years, who knows, maybe longer. So I guess, what are your future plans? To be the best grandma ever. <laughs> no pressure. But we are no, seriously, I can't days. wait to People be a good grandma. People talk about empty nest, but we'll never have that because we'll have grandkids coming in before our last kids are ever out, which is sort of, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, I have no yearning to have nobody around. Yeah, I know. When people are like, are you going to be glad when, you know, they all graduate? I'm like, no. I love all the noise and people. Yeah, I'd be ready. If it weren't for us being almost ready for another grandkid, I'd be ready to have another kid. She would kill me. But I I miss those days. Oh, that'll be great then. Yeah. Yeah. We We just had one get married. Yes. Andrew, and the, Andrew and Liz, and then we have another one getting married in December. So. Well, if your seven kids each have seven kids, that will be yes. 49. Yes. yes. That will be pretty yeah. awesome. And, uh, you know, it was hard um, for us living here when we, had, we moved here in 2000 um, for Jerry's job. And then Jerry's sister was here at the time, but then they moved to Nashville after. So we've been here without family um, for almost 20 years. Uh, so basically, I mean, we did, we raised these kids by ourselves. I mean, um, so I don't, you know, I, and I feel like now, I mean, I, I can't wait to be a grandmother, but I also can't wait to like help them, you know, cause yeah. I was wish my mom and dad and your mom and dad and our siblings were here to be like, Hey, last minute th- I need help, you know? And you, you do that with family. Like, there's certain things that you can do with family that you wouldn't necessarily do with your neighbor. Like, hey, would you mind checking in on my seven kids real quick? Um, Right, (laughs) right. So so I I can't wait to just, like, love on the grandkids and be there for them and grow our family here in Kansas City, you know. So that's my goal. Is that pretty much got it? Share goals, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, let's see, let's give a little bit of advice to other people. So if you knew somebody who was, I don't know, about 20 years old and thinking about getting married, uh, when would you say, hey, that's a good idea for this person? What type of person would this have to be? And when would you say you probably should wait? That's pretty hard. Um, I mean, there's so many pieces to that. I mean, you'd really have to know the person. I mean, it totally depends on everything. What's the history? Um, what's their family life been like? What's their intent? What are their beliefs for the future sort of thing? Um, their maturity, maturity level, level at that there's, time. There's a lot of different things. I would never out of hand tell somebody no. Because a lot of times you know, and I feel like we did, knew better than anybody else did, that th- this was the right thing for us to do at the time. Um, what I'm hearing is that would be the beginning of the conversation, not just something where somebody could say, hey, should I get married? And then you'd give them a yes or a no. Correct. That, that would be the beginning of like a five-hour conversation. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of what I'm yeah. hearing. Yeah, you, you yeah. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, this has really been fantastic. And so now I just have one last question here for you. So let's, let's actually look ahead to when you're 100 years old. And you're sitting maybe on this beautiful deck where we're sitting, I don't know, 
and you're holding hands and you're surrounded by children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and somebody says, what do you look back on most fondly? I'd probably say, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> the Elon Musk hearing restoring device. <laughs> um. I don't know, because that's 50 more years after now. So If we're sitting there on a porch with our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, then I would say I would love that because that means that they all stayed here when they got married and they didn't move off, you know, because they wanted to get away from us. They all wanted to, to be here near us and they still cared about family and that's why we were on the porch with all of them there. Everybody's just all together. Everybody's all together. Yeah. It was fantastic. Well, thank you both very much. This was just absolutely a ton of fun and very enlightening. And I personally learned a lot. So thank you very well, much. Well, thanks. thanks so. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. Next episode in two days.